Hey, this is Chris. Don't skip ahead to the episode yet. We're conducting a listener survey of people listening to RCV clips. First-timers, long-timers, occasional listeners, anybody. Please fill out the survey linked to in the show notes for this episode to help us make RCV clips even better. Thanks! Welcome to the January 2022 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Chris, a member of the Resource Center staff. Since the year 2000, there have been 11 recounts in ranked choice voting elections in the United States, and six of those happened last year. Two were held in Utah, two in New York City, and one each in Portland, Maine, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. In today's episode, I will be talking with Roseanne Mitchell of Utah County, Utah, Deb McDonough with the League of Women Voters of Maine, and Jeff Narrabrook from the city of Minneapolis about those ranked choice voting recounts and recounts in general. Roseanne, Deb, and Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today. So first things first, how many recounts of any kind have you all worked on? And how many of those were ranked choice voting recounts? Some of them have been very big recounts, uh, but only one ranked choice. How many total recounts did you say? About a dozen. About a dozen. Okay. And Jeff? So I've been involved with just two, um, actually both uh, ranked choice, uh, one in 2017 and one this year. Very cool. And Deb? Okay, I'm the outlier. Um, I did watch the ranked choice recount that happened in Portland uh, in November, um, but I wrote the first draft of the ranked choice specific recount protocol that was eventually adopted by the Secretary of State's office and has now been used twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the 2018 recount and now the 2021 as well. Yeah, so that protocol was used in the Poliquin Golden recount in 2018 and then was used by Portland this last November. Right, great. So we've got a good like range of experiences, I think, of people. Uh, it's interesting, Jeff, that you've only done RCV recounts. Well, you can talk about this later, but I'm sort of curious what you've heard from folks about ranked choice versus non-ranked choice recounts. Um, But before we go too far down that path, I sort of want to just do some basic level setting about what recounts are. So Roseanne, can you walk us through what is a recount and what are they for? Like, what is their purpose in an election? So a recount is usually can be requested in Utah. It has to be requested by the candidates. And it's just when a race is really close and within a specific margin as defined by law, the candidate can request a recount and we go back through, we recount the ballots that pertain to that race, as well as look at other documents, uh, provisionals that may not have been counted, ballots received too late that were not able to be counted. And we just review everything to make sure that it was all done correct and accurate and that the vote should stand. Or occasionally there are some minor changes. And what are some like myths or misconceptions that people might have about recounts that you'd want to rebut or dispel? Well, I think that very often people think that a recount is going to produce exactly the same results as the regular election results did. And very often they don't match up, that you will find something that for whatever reason, a ballot may have been adjudicated incorrectly or you find a provisional ballot that should have been included and wasn't included, something like that. And 
you just, as you review everything, you may find that it changes by one or two votes. Right. Well, and uh, Jeff and Deb, do you have anything that you would add? Any thoughts you have on what recounts are good for or what purpose they serve? Jeff? Yeah, um, we have a, a bit of a different process than what Roseanne was mentioning. We don't have provisional ballots for one. And, you know, we wouldn't look at rejected absentees because that were too late, stuff like that. But that aside, I often kind of explain one of the ways I talk about it is if voters filled out their ballots correctly, and by correctly, I mean they filled in their bubble and they only filled in one bubble, there would be no point to a recount. Um, a recount is really about finding the mistakes that voters made that the machine couldn't read. And so, you know, we do other processes to verify the accuracy of the machines. Of course, if the machines weren't accurate, that could change the results. But assuming if you run through everything, run them all through the machines, you get the same result, which is what we'd expect. That means that the only changes are due to human error or something that the, the machine couldn't read. So that's why it does change, because voters don't fill out their ballots perfectly. They do all sorts of surprising things. <laughs> yes. And I'd say one more thing, though. Yeah, people are fallible in one way. Oh, yeah. I would say that as long as a jurisdiction has a protocol for auditing a race, then human error is really the only thing that's left. But not all races are audited. And so there's certainly a possibility that a recount is going to uncover an error that's happening um, in the software or in the hardware. The other point I'd make is that I've been surprised at how many people feel like the recount is absolutely the perfect answer. Um, and that is always going to depend on the quality of the recount, the quality of the protocols, errors that may have happened at the recount. Right. I mean, it sounds like there's two sorts of failures we're looking at in recounts. But Deb, you're focused on how do we catch the ways humans behaved in ways we weren't prepared for. And designing a recount itself is challenging because people are sort of bad at like counting large stacks of paper and designing that carefully is important too. Is that right? Yes. So in Portland this last November, the ballots were first run through scanners and tabulated by the software. And then during the recount, all of those ballots were examined by hand one at a time. And so there are really two different sources of errors to compare. So in the original count, if a voter made a mistake and crossed out their first choice and then voted for the candidate they really wanted, the computer is going to see that as two votes, as an overvote, and the computer isn't going to count that. That's something that people might see in the recount, and people might understand exactly what the voter's intent would have been. On the other hand, during the recount, we're relying on people to look at each ballot and accurately determine who the ballot is for, to sort it into the right pile, to count the stack of ballots properly, to not accidentally move a ballot when they didn't count it yet. There are a lot of ways that the people can make mistakes during that recount. And so keeping track of, of what those sources of error are and ensuring that they're not the same in both systems is, is an important task. Well, and that actually leads me to the next question I had for you, Deb, which is what are some of the ways different like recounts can be conducted? Because you're talking about hand recounts, but there's also machine recounts. So can you talk about what those two things are and, and how they might differ in practice? Well, 
I, I think I'm starting to think the recount rules might be different in every single jurisdiction. I don't know. Um, I found a bunch of databases and best practices documents that start to describe who can request a recount and who has to pay and what the thresholds are. And there's a lot of variety in those processes, but I haven't even been able to find a summary of, of actual recount protocols, a description of who actually does what. But as I've talked to colleagues, it's become clear that there are a lot of ways to do that work too. So we hand count ballots that were originally counted by scanners and computers. And we work in teams of two and we sort and we count stacks. In other places, I know that one person reads the ballot out loud and other people are making tally marks on a form. And even those tally marks aren't the same. Some are actually like hash marks and sometimes people are crossing out numbers as they encounter a ballot of each type. And then, as you said, some, some jurisdictions run the ballots through the scanner. In some of those cases, ambiguous ballots get sorted out and are actually inspected by hand. In others, selected ballots are inspected and compared to what the computer is saying, kind of like I think of as an audit. So I guess I'd recommend that folks find and review both the election administration protocols and the recount protocols where you vote and review them. See if a recount is likely to address the kind of errors that might be occurring in your elections. See if the protocols used in the recounts are clearly described so that different groups of people implementing the protocol would do them in the same way, would actually know what sorts are going to be more accurate and what sorts are going to cause problems. I haven't yet seen a protocol in this country that is detailed enough for me to be confident that I know what everybody's going to do. But wow, the protocol that I found from the Philippines uh, runs about 90 pages, and it describes down to how thick the plexiglass is supposed to be that you build the boxes out of for sorting ballots. That's, that's comprehensive. It's very comprehensive. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I'm starting to think that we might need that level of detail um, because when people are making decisions on the fly, when they're not exactly sure what they're supposed to do, some of those people are going to make bad decisions and are going to do things that compromise the integrity of the mm -hmm. recount. So, Chris, in Utah, we do a machine recount. However, we also, as part of the recount process, Depending on the size of the jurisdiction, there's different percentages that have to be counted by hand. And for the race that we did in this last election, it was 35%. So it was a, a fairly significant amount of ballots that we did have to review and do a hand count on those. Can you talk a bit more about that? So you you generally rely on machines like you do you rescan every ballot and then you also hand count 35% of those same ballots that is correct oh, yes interesting so that sounds almost like a batch polling audit so in the audit world uh -huh. they talk about batch polling audits where you take a batch of ballots which have been counted as a batch before and you hand count them and compare that to the batch totals other audits might be ballot polling audits where you're looking at single ballots from different batches, um, but that batch polling protocol is a standard audit protocol to identify machine problems. Mm -hmm. Deb, can you briefly explain the difference between an audit and a recount? Yes. 
an audit is a standard part of election administration. And so an audit is something that we know ahead of time is going to happen. We might not know ahead of time exactly which contests will be audited, but we know that the audit will be conducted. We know the process of that audit and we're prepared to do that to see if the machines were programmed properly, if the scanners were operating properly to catch those kinds of hardware software errors that might cause a problem. A recount, on the other hand, is responding to a specific event, to a race that's really, really close, or to reports of some sorts of problems, things that might have happened in that jurisdiction, machines that broke down, um, some, and different states have different rules for which of those kinds of events might trigger a recount and which would not. Jeff, can you talk a bit about how you recount a ranked choice voting election? Yeah. So this is, uh, the process is going to be different in different places, just like everything in elections. And we didn't really have a clear blueprint in law, and we still don't. Um, Our state law doesn't uh, have anything about ranked choice voting. So, you know, we're not like Maine. It's it's not in state law. It's uh, been placed into some of our city charters um, and so added at the local level. And what that means is there can be this awkward dance between the state law and then how that would apply in the local ranked choice voting setting. And this is one of those examples. So we do have a recount um, section of our municipal code, but it's really more about the process. um, And it just kind of mimics the state law for what are the thresholds? How do you request one? What's the scope? Okay. But the, the, actual recount isn't detailed, at least in the way that I want it to be. So for example, um, well, I'll start with the 2017 recount that we did. That was discretionary, meaning it wasn't that close of a race. Um, And importantly, that race only was decided after the first round of tabulation. So there were no further rounds. All right. And with our discretionary recount, the candidate is paying for it. They have the choice to say, I want to start with these three precincts and then I can withdraw. And basically they don't have to keep paying money (laughs) once they see nothing's going to change. And that's what happened there. So in a sense, we didn't have to really grapple with tabulation um, because, you know, basically it was just at the end of the first round and you didn't uh, reallocate votes. Um, This was different. So this race was a a city council race and there were... uh, 9,700 ballots cast, and it went through three rounds of tabulation. And at the end, um, the the winner had 19 more votes than uh, the losing candidate, so it was very close. Um, all that to say, we didn't have a documented process for how you um, retabulate and what that means. Is it just a hand? And we don't hand tabulate. We um, take what's called the cast vote record which is just the machine spitting out row for each ballot saying this ballot did first choice, second choice, third choice. We have three choices here. Um, And we take that and we use that for tabulation using uh, Excel. And so it was unclear if we're going to rebuild that cast vote record basically or something else. And I can talk about what the something else is, but I'll pause there um, for your other questions. No, I think, yeah, just keep going. I'm curious to hear more about how you all put that together. Yes. So we 
ended up determining that our job was to um, recount the votes for the winner and the loser. So in other words, what we ended up doing was recreating that final round of tabulation. And we did that um, by having three piles. And this is the way it's done for like a non-ranked choice voting race. You have a pile of ballots for the winner, a pile of ballots for the runner-up, and a pile of ballots for others. Others could have been votes for other candidates. They could have been ballots that didn't have any choice in that race, um, ballots where you couldn't determine any of their choices. So in other words, we did not do the repeat the, the three rounds of tabulation. We knew that those two candidates weren't going to get eliminated, uh, at least mathematically with how it um, played out. And so we looked at every ballot and kind of retabulated on the fly. What that means is we looked at each ballot, started at the left-hand column. If the left-hand column, the first choice column was for the winner or the runner-up, it went right into their pile. If the first choice vote was for a different candidate, then we go to the second column and we do the same up to the third choice column. And by then it's either for the winner, the runner up or none of the above. So that was our hand count process is looking at each of those ballots. And that's what I mean in terms of tabulating on the fly, right? So we're just determining which ballots ended up going in the final round to one of these two candidates. And that process worked pretty well but it would be good to have more clarity in law. And so there's other recount scenarios that our process wouldn't necessarily work for. So a candidate can do a discretionary request to recount a earlier round in which they were defeated. And obviously we, we need to do something different if that was the case. So it was hard to get our heads around, but we got there. Yeah. Deb, I'd be curious to hear sort of your thoughts on how they put that together and how that matches up with the recount protocol in Maine that you worked on? Well, their ballots are a little bit different than ours. Um, their ballots actually have the name in each of the three columns, whereas we use a grid ballot, the name is off to the left, and then there's a whole block of, of bubbles that might or might not be filled in. Um, blessedly, the two recounts that have been done were fairly small fields, so there were only four candidates in each of those recounts. Um, but as we approached the first ranked choice races back in 2018, uh, the Democratic primary for governor had something like seven or eight candidates, and that was a huge block of bubbles. Maine allows folks to rank all the way through. So if there are eight candidates, there are not eight columns. Actually, there are nine columns because there's one for a write-in as well. And so you've got a huge grid of bubbles. And I kept asking for the recount protocol because I was just really concerned about how people were going to know which ballots belonged to which candidates and what was going to happen next. Um, and was and and there there just wasn't a document that described how that process would work. Um, and so I made a test deck at my house, and all of my friends had to sort them. And I monitored what kinds of mistakes folks made and tried to figure out what we would need to do to stop people from making those kinds of mistakes. And so what I noticed was that it was really difficult for people to make sure that they were on the right line, to make sure that they were looking at the right pair of candidates, and then even if they had the right dots, to make sure that they understood which candidate the ballot belonged to. So there was a common cognitive error 
where a person would sort the ballot for the candidate higher in the list, even if the candidate lower in the list was actually ranked a little bit higher. And so we did a couple of things. And so the protocol that Maine uses for a two candidate recount, the kind that Jeff was describing, asks for a two pass sort. In the first sort, we're sorting ballots that were um, that are assigned to a candidate by first choice and setting aside all of the other ballots. And then they go back through that other set of ballots again to see, to do that preference work, which is much, much more difficult. It's a totally different task. It actually turned out that the going back and forth between the tasks was a part of the problem. And so there were more errors if you'd been able to do a first choice sort and then had to do a preference sort and then another first choice sort, people made more mistakes. And so by getting some of those ballots out of the way, focusing on a single path, um, when we were doing our tests, I was actually using some tools as well. So the ballot, like if you draw a line through the dots, they're going to point one way if the top candidate is winning and another way if the lower candidate is ranked higher. And if you make templates that have those lines on them, it really helps people to make sure they're thinking about these things properly. Um, I think that this is a great opportunity for some research work. And so I am working on a test deck that would have a set of different um, contests. My test deck was big, and I don't think they had as many problems in the smaller races as I did in my test deck. So a big field, a small field, does it matter if the candidates we're recounting are the outside two candidates or the inside two candidates or the third and the eighth candidate on the list? Um, what kind of tools do we need to have in place for different kinds of recounts? We did also put together a separate protocol for a three candidate recount. Um, and then I have a protocol as well that uses the original tabulation to drive an efficient sort and stack to reconstruct the full um, cast vote record that is pretty overwhelming. And the response from the Maine Secretary of State was to prohibit any candidate from further back than third choice uh, from requesting a recount. So that protocol is not actually in rule in Maine. Interesting. Yeah. So there's in Maine, only three candidates can potentially request a recount in a given ranked choice voting election. Uh, that is true uh, for the ranked choice contests. Discretionary recounts are allowed in plurality contests uh, for any candidate on the ballot. And so there's a bit of a discrepancy there that may need to be resolved at some point. Yeah, interesting. Roseanne, I want to hear a bit about how you all organize the hand recount part. I do too. If you took any of these sorts of paths from Minneapolis or Maine. And then I also want to just do like a, have a quick walkthrough of how you actually put together the machine recount. But I'm curious to hear first about the like 35% manual count you did. So we identified what that 35%, those ballots that were being pulled, those were, we actually tabulated those first on the machine so that then we could move those, those ballots off and have a team start on that audit process or that hand recount process. 
And so, and then, so we took those and we did sort them. We were really only looking at first, second, third choice for the recount as well, because our discrepancy or the, the margin where we had that made it eligible for a recount was between the second and third candidates, but, and it was on like round two. So we really were just looking at that, but we did count rounds one, two, and three. And we, and then we didn't look further down the rankings. I believe there was six potential rankings on that one, but we only looked at one, two, and three, and we did a hand tally on those. Super interesting. I only, until this conversation, I thought Utah was just doing the machine recount. I didn't realize you had also done this manual hand count. So we kind of make some of it up as we go, too. It sounds like that's sort of what's happening everywhere. <laughs> Unless you have a 90-page document that describes how thick your plexiglass has to be. Right. Uh, I would say this is one of those areas of election law that just don't get a lot of attention. Um and, you know, I often think about uh, in legislators can craft good laws. It's not that. But, you know, like any field, they're they're not they don't have that expertise. Um, takes a lot for them to understand some of these things, given it's not their day to day job and all the more so with recounts. And so um, I imagine most of these things don't ever change until they blow up and then maybe they'll change. Right. But in the meantime, anything that's inadequate or needs to be filled in or is unclear, you know, election administrators are left to, to figure that out. So, Right. There, there may also be some resistance to that level of documentation that mm -hmm. I saw in, um, in the 90 page document. Um, the document that I produced was much longer than the one that actually got written into rule. Um, these, these protocols are in rule rather than in statute in Maine. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the details about where the piles should be that I found really important because when we put the piles in a different order, people screwed up in different mm -hmm. ways. Um, but those le that level of detail is not in the document that is provided to the folks that are actually doing the recount. Roseanne and Jeff, do you have what level of detail do the documents you're working with have, whether that's statute or procedural documents, manuals, that sort of thing? Are they getting down to that level of here's where to put this stack of information? Oh, no, absolutely not. There's very little detail on it. Yeah. In Utah, is it pretty much down to the counties to produce all this material? Is the lieutenant governor's office producing stuff? How does that work? It really depends on where the recount lies. So with the, with the ranked choice voting recount, that's always going to be at a more of a municipal level. And, but a, you know, a larger recount, if it was multi-county multi or state or federal, that would come from the state, the direction on that. And, but there is very little documented in, in law or we don't, I don't think we have anything in rule on that. We have some stuff in rule on an audit but that's it. Mm -hmm. So for you, Roseanne, given that you've been in a bunch of non-ranked choice voting recounts, what were the like big things you had that were new that you had to take on to get ready for the recount in Moab? Well, I think it was looking at it different in a, in a recount, in a, 
in a regular race, you're, you're just focusing on that one race. Again, you're going to be looking at the exact same things, the way the voters mark their ballot, um, the, the voter intent, was it, was it looked at correctly? Was it counted the way the voter intended it to be counted? You know, for us, like I said, we're looking at the provisional ballots and the ballot, the other ballots that were received too late and some of those kinds of things that those that by mail ballots where we rejected them because the signatures didn't match. Those also have to be included in a recount for us to be evaluated a second time. Um, so but you're you're really focused on one race and very often it only has a couple of candidates, it might have three or four. We we don't very often have races that have a lot of choices in them. So, but it can be really big. I had to do one for a state school board that was a lot of ballots at one point. Um, it was, I want to say it was 25,000 ballots. So it was, it was primarily machine recounted. And I, I don't believe we have to do much by hand other than an audit. Mm -hmm. Well, and Deb, the recount in Portland was about 25,000 ballots, wasn't it? 20, oh, I don't have that number in front of me. I was trying to open it up and it slowed my computer down. Yeah. Well, so Roseanne and Jeff, what were your big takeaways, like lessons learned from the ranked choice voting recounts last fall that you participated in? Uh, Roseanne, you go first. I don't think it was that big of a deal. I don't, I don't feel like it was more complicated. I think a lot of people made it out in their mind to be a bigger deal and to be more confusing or more difficult to administer. And it really wasn't. It's good to hear. I feel like it's, it seems to me like recounts are really hard to begin with and ranked choice voting isn't adding a ton on top of that, but, but Jeff, I'm curious to hear what your lesson learned was if you think that like aligns with your experience in Minneapolis. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, recounts are always stressful and like anything that you don't do that often, wait a minute, how does that work? What, what do we do? We got to go back and look because um, few of us are doing these regularly. So I think that's the main challenge is, you know, you pretty quickly have to get back your expertise at all the, the details and the nuances and the procedures um, now that we've gone through this process and documented it, you know, we have a manual now, next time it'll be much easier for the ranked choice voting piece. And this applies to all recounts, but just in terms of lesson learns, learned, um, for me at least, like I had to do a lot of dry rehearsals, right? So kind of like what Deb was saying, a test stack of pre-marked ballots, you go through the process, you, you make sure your tables are big enough. When you train your staff, uh, I have actual ballots there that they're doing that have the types of voter intent um, errors that they might see. So um, that really helped to prepare people. Because for me, the hard thing is visualizing the space. Where are the candidates going to stand? Where's the media going to stand? Um, are we all going to fit in here, especially with COVID? Um, does the, do the tables have enough space? Like, you know, in ours, the campaigns can have um, each have a representative for the sorting and then an additional representative uh, for when we're counting the stacks. So can they actually see what they need to see? All those kinds of details. And then there's the, the <clears throat> security pieces, you know, where are you going to put your ballots? And a lot of that's just the optics, right? So 
um, how do you set this up in a way that looks like you're taking it as, you know, we are taking it seriously, right? But just the optics of where things are so that people don't say, well, what's that, what's that pen doing on the table? Somebody could have marked, you know, that they maybe marked a ballot, you know, or changed it, so stuff like that. But it, uh, it went well. The ranked choice voting didn't add too much complexity, I don't think. You know what? I think that's a really good point that Jeff just made. And we have some pretty strict rules and guidelines in place, not just when we're doing a recount, but where where we tabulate any of our ballots. We do not allow um, any black or blue ink in the room at all. We usually pick a color, either red or green. We have used purple before. And every pen in the room will be one of those colors. And ballots are very rarely marked in purple or green ink. So if we have a purple or a green pen there, um, and that's the only option. I mean, I've gone so far as to take writing instruments or ask them to leave them on a table that's outside the room because I don't want them in the room at all. I'll hand them a green pen to take notes if they need something to take notes. And it's for that very reason. It's a perception nobody can pick up a pen and mark something different on a ballot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's amazing. Just, I feel like elections are already extremely detail oriented processes and recounts sort of just like increase that tenfold because you're handling every single ballot. You've had to bring in a lot of other people who probably aren't normally working on elections just to get it all done crazy. <laughs> how do you determine how many people you need to actually conduct a hand recount? Is there a formula for how many ballots to how many people? How do you figure that out? I can tell you what we did. Uh, I mean, ours is really driven by our space. So how many tables can we fit reasonably and have people around that? And we ended up with <clears throat> three ballot preparation spaces where they would open the boxes, count them, orient them before, count them meaning just do we have the right number, right? Then they go to the um, work tables, three of those, where um, they're actually looking at the, what the voter chose and, and sorting them into piles. Um, so, you know, they work in teams of two and our, our staffing was just driven by that. We had backup staff so we could rotate. I mean, you know, to Deb's point about the human error. So they're, we have standing tables so they can move better, but they're on their feet for, you know, how long. Um, so we have some backup staff that can relieve them. Um, we did time how long it took to complete a precinct with, you know, say 2000 ballots, how long that took. So we have some data that we can use in the future. Um, but it, it's it's always hard to anticipate some staffing needs. I, I think maybe others have figured that out more precisely, but you're not always quite sure how long it's, it's going to go. Ours went two days, you know, all those kinds of stuff can be hard to predict. So we had 21,000 ballots and we used 10 tables with two counters apiece and got through all of those ballots in a single day. In our case, we were opening the box and then uh, putting the ballots back in the box at a single table. They weren't being processed by different teams in different places. Um, and so there's just so many different ways to do this. And 
to start talking about what are new risks when we do different tasks and do things in different ways uh, is really interesting. I was quite interested in separating tasks to different tables so that people wouldn't need to be going back and forth between different tasks, but others felt it's important to keep ballots at the same table. It's, it's difficult to figure this to figure out what's going to work the best, what's going to give everybody the access that they need. Another thing that I felt re found really frustrating from outside um, the ropes, I'm not a Portland resident. I don't work for the city of Portland. Uh, the counters were brought in by the candidates, um, the candidate council teams. And so each candidate was responsible for supplying a certain number of counters. And of course, those were the only people in the ropes. And so I was outside the ropes. And from outside the ropes, I was not able to get enough information to know what's happening there. Why are these stacks being carried over there? Um, and so I might recommend to election officials that they task somebody with describing the process to the press or to other observers or ask the counters or recount assistants or whoever it might be to make an announcement when they're switching to a new box. Now I have ballots from precinct four or whatever that might be, because it's very difficult yeah. to determine what was going on. That's what we do. We, we, I did an introduction, explained the process, and then we do milestones throughout so that people know, of course, nobody was there, but the candidate people. It is fascinating that the candidates do the, re their people do the recount. I had no idea. Uh, that seems very strange to me, but uh, I mean, Ours is election officials, and you could understand, okay, the two sides are going to hold each other accountable, but uh, wow, that's that's very, you know, how do you train them? How, how are they even deputized to do that? Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, so one of the, the lawyers actually described the process as intentionally adversarial, mm -hmm. um, that you want to make sure that you have somebody present at all times representing each of the candidates to ensure that that they are, yeah, in fact, watching each other. Um, our elections are, our election workers typically work in teams of two, one Democrat and one Republican. Are you saying that your election workers did the counting? I misunderstood. I thought you said that the candidate workers did the counting, the work. The candidates supplied the counters. And I don't actually know Nothing written in the rule or statute about what qualifications those people would need to have. Uh, I know that one of the teams did uh, training of their counters ahead of time. The clerk provided some training at the recount, the morning of the recount. So the people who showed up had not yet been trained. Um, and then the clerk described what they were to do. And then they began doing that task. There were recount assistants at each table, and those are people that were selected by the clerk and had a different set of training, presumably, but I didn't observe that training. Interesting. Well, so we're running low on time. Roseanne, I wanted to hear how you all staffed up and how you sort of determine like the right number of people for your recounts, and then I'll do my last question, then I'll let you all go. So we used election staff from our office that went down to this jurisdiction and we were we were on site and we had a team of, we only had 2000 ballots to review that we, 2000 ballots to recount. And so it, we didn't need a lot of people. Um, we had six people there 
and we used election workers that we already had. And this is one area where it's just not well defined in statute yeah. what the requirements are and who they need to be in our state. It doesn't, it's not laid out very clearly. To be honest, this election was very controversial. It had a lot of people watching it really close. But when it ended up coming down to the recount, we had no observers there. So funny. We, we were in the same boat. And it's so disappointing because it's this opportunity yeah. to understand the process and nobody cares at that point. So, yeah. Yep. Well, we certainly had, I mean, I consider the candidate council to be observers. And so each candidate had two, two lawyers present to observe what was happening. Um, I may have been the only person that was really there just to watch and see what was happening. Uh, it looked like most of the other people in, in the observation space were the extra counters who took shifts during the course of the day. And then there were also um, some election officials from a few other towns that are considering ranked choice voting that were there for a while to watch what that process might look like. But you're right, there isn't a lot of interest. Yeah, well, in the recount in Portland, and I'll, this will be my actual second to last question. I don't want to hold you guys longer than I said we would. Oh, I would take this, talk about this all day, you know that. Portland, you had the recount about a week after election day, right? The recount was conducted on the Tuesday after the election. That's correct. Yeah. In Minneapolis and Moab, your recounts were much later. Is that yes. right? Yes. And our law doesn't specify a time in which you have to do the recount. The only thing that's specified is when they can request it. So that's strange, too. Mm-hmm. That is the same with Utah. Presumably, we could have waited a month. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right. You did yours in early December. We, we right? did wait a month. Yeah. 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 I wonder if that plays a role, but even if even in Maine, where they had the first ever tie in a ranked choice voting election, there weren't also like just random citizens out there curious. I can't imagine it would have changed anything for Minneapolis or Moab for more people to show up if it had been sooner. The press was there uh, off and on throughout the day. Um, Yeah. Man, there's (laughs) the more I learn about recounts, it's it's like the most election administration, the election administration thing, because it's the more I learn about elections generally, the more complicated it gets. And then turns out the more I learn about recounts, the more complicated I feel elections period are. (laughs) It's incredible. Uh, Every time I learn something new, I lose my mind. It's been a long, (laughs) long couple of years. (laughs) All right. Last question time. We're already over, but I'll I'll let you go after this. Uh, Describe your recount experience in three words or less. Deb, then Roseanne, then Jeff. Somebody else go first. I didn't prepare for that question. I'm sorry, Chris. Oh, my goodness. I saw it. You're right. I did. (laughs) That's supposed to catch you off guard. I can go. I have mine ready. (laughs) Mine is lots of fun. I love it. Perfect. (laughs) I liked it. It was was interesting. Um, It's exciting. It went well. So, you know, we all whisper the word recount after election. You can't say the word recount because it'll jinx us. Um, you know, it's a, it's a headache, um, but it, it, you know, it's what we're here for. And it was, it was interesting. So. How about validation? You said three words or less. So I'm going to just go with one. Deb? Lots of moving parts. We don't have to count of, do we? 
you're just borrowing over it from Roseanne. Okay. There Thanks, you go. Roseanne. Appreciate it. <laughs> share. Appreciate that. Well, I'll, I'll end it there. Uh, thank you all so much for, for getting on and walking us through this truly a sort of never ending complexity of recounts. Really appreciate you making the time. And thank you for coordinating this. I've learned a lot thank My you pleasure. about how other recounts are conducted. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. And I will get you guys the tally sheet. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank thanks. Thank Roseanne. you. All right. Bye everybody. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Ryan Kirby with this month's final round. Do you know how often recounts are conducted? According to a recent study by FairVote, in the last 20 years, there have been 5,778 statewide elections, but there have only been 31 completed statewide recounts. Of those 31 recounts, only three have overturned the result, and all three of them had an original margin of victory of less than 0.05%. This statistic shows just how important each vote is and makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our January RCV clip produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Follow us on Twitter at RCV Resources, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, and check out our website, rcvresources.org. Please be sure to fill out the listener survey linked to in the show notes for this episode. We would love to hear your feedback and ideas. You can find our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast too. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. 